Would you open God's precious holy word to the Revelation 15? This is uh, the introduction to the seven bowls of wrath. The seventh trumpet sounds, and that gives signal to the seven last things of judgment that God will pour out on the world. So let's look at this together. We'll cover the whole, uh, we'll cover the whole chapter tonight. And I saw another great, wonderful, or amazing sign in heaven. Now there have already been two. This is the third of the great signs that John has seen. This amazing sign in heaven, seven angels. Now the book of Hebrews teaches us that angels are ministering spirits to the believers. It's interesting to me that uh, at least in this present age, one of the last things that they can do to comfort us is to be sent out by God to mete out not just this final judgment, but others that we've seen in the book of the Revelation as well. So really they're ministering in our behalf when they, when they do these things that we read about in the Revelation. Seven angels having seven plagues, the last ones, because in them the wrath of God was completed. If you think about the subject of the wrath of God, you can think of various times, especially in the Old Testament, when God's wrath went forth. But it it cannot compare, of course, with the, with the full dispersion of the final wrath of God to close out this present age. Now, well, let's just read about it. Okay, I'm clicking and I'm beeping, but I'm not... Whoops. Oh, okay. Well, and I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. John is, let's see if I can go backwards yeah, a little bit. This is coming out of, out of heaven. Now, we've seen this sea of glass before back in, what, the Revelation 5. But it was also seen in the, at least twice in the Old Testament. Ezekiel saw it and uh, Moses saw it as he and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu uh, in, that would have been in Exodus 24, ascended Mount Sinai and came into the presence of the God of Israel. And the the, the floor the, in his presence was, 
was uh, this area that was, that was described like this. Now, when Moses saw it, he described it as something like sapphire. When Ezekiel saw it, he described it something like that as well. But also, it has been described then, when you put all of them together, it has a golden hue. But in this case, it is mingled with fire. So, here's a platform in the presence of the throne of God. This is, this is just in the presence. This is just before. It's, it's like the, the floor that leads up to the throne of God. It's a huge thing. And here, John notes from the reflection of the sea of glass that it's, it's as though it was mingled with fire. Now remember we just saw that God's wrath is about to be completed on this present age. And when we see the explosion of His wrath, we marvel at how by His grace He has restrained Himself from destroying the human race when we first, uh, when we first arrived here and uh, almost immediately began our rebellion against our Creator. This, this sea of glass, this crystal type sea, it's, it's, it's a description of glass that was cut so that in the cuttings of the glass it could refract the light so that it would show beautifully. Crystal, you know what crystal does. They didn't have mirrors the word that well, I said they did. The word mirror didn't exist, and a mirror itself, as we understand a mirror, didn't exist when John wrote this. Might be something that would remind us of a of a of a well refracting mirror that gives that gives a, a, a beautiful reflection in various ways. But he didn't have that word back then, and he just called it something like crystal. But here, it's not just an appearance of sapphire with a golden hue, it's mingled with fire. Now, if you'll, we're going to see here that this whole thing is, is coming out from the temple that's in heaven. Now, the temple is where God dwells, and this is where the throne of God is, and the type of it in the tabernacle in the temple back on earth would be in the Holy of Holies. You know, that's where they on the Day of Atonement, for example, the great the, the high priest came in and made the, uh, made the offering, the sacrifice on behalf of the people into the presence of God. So uh, here, God is back in there on His throne in His dwelling place, and His wrath is going to come exploding. The finality of His wrath from the place where He dwells, the holy place in Heaven's temple. You, you can't get any holier than that. That's the presence of God who is absolute holiness. And absolute holiness has restrained Himself from pouring out His wrath on an unbelieving human race up to this point. So now, 
it's mingled with fire which reflects the rage and wrath of the presence of God. Now what else did he see there gathered on this immense platform in the presence of the throne of God? Here's what he says. I saw those conquering over the beast and its image and over the number of its name standing upon the sea of glass having harps of God. As I understand it, these are the last of the tribulation saints who will die. Now Christ in the Revelation 19 comes in power and glory and in that physical return to planet earth is the judgment of nations and He judges all of those who are still left alive. There are sheep and there are goats. The sheep are the saved of the tribulation, most of them, from, I think, from the nation of Israel, still other Gentiles as well. But they're still alive in their physical bodies, and Christ tells them to come into the kingdom that has been prepared for them. And then, of course, the others are consigned to, to Hades. They're killed. They're just killed. And their souls go to Hades, and in a thousand years they'll be raised up to be cast in the second resurrection into the lake of fire. So here we have, here we have the, 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 the souls of all the tribulation saints, in my view, who have died because of a previous description of others who have been there, and they would be part of this group as well. Harps always speak of lifting praise to God. So they are, they are in a mode of worship and praise in the very presence on, on the platform that is before the throne of God, which is in the temple, in the holiest place in creation, the very presence of God, holy God. And they're in His presence and they're praising. Now what are they doing? They are singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. In Exodus 15 is the song of Moses that was sung by Israel when they came through the Red Sea and then it collapsed upon the Egyptians. They sang the song of Moses. And there's another song of Moses, but the one, the, the one that this references is in Exodus 15. And they have another verse they've added to it, which is the song of the Lamb. So we are, we are correct in our dispensationalism here. There was redemption in the Old Testament in that God had saved His elect and He had divinely intervened and was leading them in a miraculous fashion. And all of that is part of the redeeming story of, uh, of God's people, which comes and, and uh, culminates here at, at the close of this age. And so they add to it the song of the Lamb, which is, uh, what, in the Revelation 6 or so? The song of the Lamb, where the 24 elders, you know, they fell down and they sang a new song. And in that song, you know, you have purchased us by your blood 
uh, from every tribe, tongue, kindred, and nation. So, a song of redemption, how God had redeemed as the king of the, as the, as the ruler and sovereign of nations, had redeemed his people. And now the, the second verse, the, the next verse of that is the song of the Lamb. So here is this massive group of souls. The resurrection of the tribulation saints and Old Testament Israel comes at the end of the tribulation, but not yet. So as I see it, they are disembodied, but they are in an intermediate state. They are praising God. They, if you want to think of it this way, the church was raptured and resurrected seven years earlier. And the church, the bride of Christ, never called the church again after the Revelation 3. From then on, it's the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ, a peculiar group of the totality of the elect of God and distinct in a special way, but not distinct from the redemption and the total and, and the total purchase that Christ has made for his people. And then here's the, here are the tribulation saints, the ones who have died. They're singing the song of Moses, have harps, they're lifting praise. They also sing the song of the Lamb. Now what had they done? They conquered the beast. We saw previously that the false prophet had ordered everyone to worship the beast, to worship his image, and to worship his name by taking the mark, which is 666, the mark of a man. These people died in a cruel fashion, I'm sure, by refusing to worship the beast, by refusing to worship the image of the beast, and by refusing to take the mark of the beast. They have overcome the beast. So here they are gathered in totality in their particular group together with all of the rest of heaven who will be gathered there at that time in this way. And those people are playing harps and singing a song, the song of Moses along with the song of the Lamb. And they are the only ones in that case who understand how the story of their redemption came about. Theirs is different from mine. It's different from yours. Theirs is a, is a case where they actually overcame the beast, his image, his name. And they have this great offering of worship here in the presence of of God's throne standing on this magnificent sea of glass. Great and wonderful. So here are parts of that song. Great and wonderful your works, Lord God the Almighty, righteous and true are your ways. So they praise Him for His works and His ways. O King of the nations, who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. So this is a, 
This is a manifestation of the absolute righteousness of God of which those of us in Christ have a part. Not by anything that we've done, but by what God has done through Christ in our behalf and has imputed upon us because of Christ. He has covered us with this righteousness and nobody's going to stand there apart who is a, a human. Nobody's going to stand there from the human race apart from the imputed righteousness that comes from God through Christ upon those in the totality of things who are His saints. So, they're praising Him for all of this. You see, He says, because your righteous, they say, because your righteous acts have been revealed. This is God's universe. This is God's earth. It is God's human race. He created everything. He created all of us. He is the God of eternity, and He will not allow sin in His presence. Finally and ultimately, it is judged and destroyed. The complete destruction of it is a thousand years yet in the future. At the close of the millennial reign of Christ, and at the raising of the great white throne and the dissolution of the first order of things. Okay? So, they're praising Him for these things. Now keep this in mind. The dwelling place and throne of God are in the holiest of holies in Heaven's temple. You can't get any holier. I mean, that's it, man. He is, He, he created, He is holiness. So, your righteous acts have been revealed. So, keep that in mind in their, as part of their song as we continue on through the rest of this chapter. And after these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony was opened in heaven. All right. Now somebody look at that and say, well now I see the word temple, and I see the word tabernacle. That's kind of cool. Well don't let that confuse you, because in Numbers chapter 10, the Ark of the Covenant is referred to as the tabernacle of the testimony. God in the Holy of Holies in His possession has the definition of righteousness. Now, we live in a sin-crazed age, probably at the end of the age. Where, where I'm, I'm convinced most of the world denies and rejects righteousness as it has been defined by God in His Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are in that tabernacle of the testimony, the Ark of the Covenant. This is a statement from Holy Creator God to created man defining His principle and standard of righteousness and holiness for His created man. This testimony of righteousness, just the Ten Commandments, has been violated by everybody, of course, except the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody has violated those Ten Commandments. Everybody. Nobody can stand in his own righteousness. So, 
with all of this now being opened up in the presence of the people of it, especially the tribulation saints, they are singing, your righteous acts have been revealed. And now the world, nobody in heaven, on earth, under the earth, who has ever lived in any age can deny that God at the beginning of all things has established the standard of holiness and righteousness. And this was what man was to live up to, but because of sin has utterly and miserably failed. This is God's statement. The temple of the tabernacle of the testimony was opened in heaven. All of the redeemed who are in heaven and those who are still in their mortal bodies on planet earth are redeemed because the Lamb of God has purchased us with His blood from out of every tribe, tongue, kindred, and nation. That is the only reason we can be in the presence of God. There is nothing that we can offer for ourselves. It is only by faith in Christ. Okay? Here is the definition of holiness. All these earth dwellers down there, they, you know, they have, they have created their own standard of righteousness. It's okay to curse God. It's okay to burn His Word and to tear Him up. It's okay to kill believers. It's okay. It's okay to destroy unborn babies. It's okay to live a sexually aberrant life in total opposition to the principles of God who created us. Male and female created He them. They have, they have established the order of humanism where they are their own gods and they have their own standard of righteousness and have flippantly totally disregarded the law of God. You know back in the days of Josiah the law of Moses, the only Bible they had in that day had been lost for a while. The temple had fallen into ruin. The people had become disrespectful and, and dishonorable of God. Josiah, young King Josiah came to the throne. He ordered the temple to be restored. Was it Elkiah, the high priest, who discovered, man, he found a copy of the book of the law. Those people hadn't read their Bible in years. With great happiness, he came before the king. He said, I have found the book of the law. The king ordered for all the elders and as many of Israel who would gather to stand, and he ordered that guy to open that book and read that law. They hadn't heard it. The people who they had never heard it. They were born without a Bible. He started reading those Ten Commandments. And they started weeping and crying and falling down and collapsing because of sin. This is the power of the testimony of God's righteousness. None of us can stand on our own in the presence of a righteous and holy God who has defined perfection for humanity. Everybody falls short of that. Nobody can come up to that. Now here it is at last, opened in heaven. And the seven angels having the seven plagues came forth out of the temple. In other words, 
directly from the command of God. These are the, they're going to have the seven bowls of wrath. These bowls of wrath are, are shallow urns. And once they start pouring out these bowls, it's just going to be like this. It's probably just in a day or two, just, just like this, and it'll all be over. So they come forth, by the, obviously by the command of the one who is on the throne, having been clothed in pure bright linen, and having been girded around the chests with golden sashes. So they have this, they have this beautiful, bright, pure linen robe, these seven angels. And then surrounding their midsection is the brightest and purest of gold, golden sashes. So there is something pure. These are, these are called by some the angel priests. I'm not real sure I like that terminology, but the point is that these seven angels have had particular duties inside heaven's temple. They have each one attended a bowl of wrath. And these bowls of wrath, and we'll see it, God willing, in the next chapter and, and following. These bowls of wrath are going to be discharged and poured out upon the earth dwellers who are still there. And one of the four living beings, and one of the four living beings gave to the seven angels. There's the word. I left the word out in my translation. One of the four beings gave, gave, Edokin gave to the seven angels. Now this is one of the four cherubim. The cherubim are seen in Ezekiel as the ones who bear up the throne of God. They're like, <laughs> they're like bodyguards. They're ones with the four faces and, and all that. And they move real, quick, real fast and quick and they're powerful. One of them has fallen. There were five. One of them has fallen. He became, he became Satan. Still four. Still four up there. One of them gave uh, to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God. So this mighty living one, this cherub, brings those seven bowls gives one to each of the seven angels. They are the bowls full of the wrath of God. The one living to the ages of the ages. God is eternal. And in, and in the existence of anything about God's creation, sin will not stand. It will be destroyed. It brings, it brings wrath and fury into the person of God that sin would exist in his presence. But he demonstrates grace and restraint until his appointed time. God knows when that is. He is the one who lives to the ages of the ages. He's angry. Look at this. And the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God. 
He's so angry. He's burning. Glory smoke. Coming from the presence of an angry God. Who is about to bring to an end on planet earth. The times of the Gentiles. Let me float off this path just for a moment. Listening to a preacher today and on YouTube and every time I, I some of them I like, some of them I don't like, some of them I sort of like. And I kind of, you know, I cherry pick what I like. You know. Sometimes I say, yeah, he got that. No, he didn't nail that. He, he, missed, he missed a good point there, you know. Well, anyway, we all do that. All preachers do that to each other. So, uh, the Revelation, I mean, the book of Romans 11, 9, 10, 11 talks about Israel being laid aside in the times of the Gentiles. Think about this. There's this tremendous thought. In Romans 11, Paul says that blindness came to Israel. Blindness. Hard-heartedness. And so God grafted in the Gentiles. And the Gentiles came joyfully and happily into the presence and worship of the true living God. It's called the times of the Gentiles. But in the book of Romans chapter 11, he talks about the time that comes, that comes to an end the fullness of the Gentiles. And when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, the fullness of the times of the Gentiles, when the last of the Gentiles are saved, according to God's plan, God relieves the blindness from Israel and softens their hard hearts. And Israel is saved. Now, you have to read this carefully. But here's what that means has to happen. That means that the time is coming when the Gentiles will hate God. Think about it. They'll shake their fists in His face. They will defy Him. They'll sin and laugh about it. They will care no more. For the true and living God. And my friend, we are there, aren't we? The nations turn against God. The fullness of the times of the Gentiles. Well, that gives introduction to the last seven years, which is the tribulation that we've been talking about here. Now, back to where we are. Filled with smoke from the glory of God, from His power. No one was able to enter into the temple. <laughs> that big old cherubim. Now this is a gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. He's standing at the door and somebody says, I kind of want to get a peek at God. No, don't need to go in there right now. Not a good time. Not a good time. No one was able to enter into the temple. 
until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed, until God had fully dispensed his wrath upon his unbelieving creation. Seven bowls, one right after another. Now, I want you to think about this. God and God alone will finally wrathfully bring an end to sin himself. He doesn't need my help. Doesn't need the angel's help. It doesn't even need, it doesn't even need to be explained. He's just going to do it. His wrath will explode and that will take us through and certain details of it will take us through into the Revelation 19 when Christ comes in power and glory and rescues the tiny little remnant of people who are still alive and of course destroys the rebels of Armageddon. Well, we're going to stop there and have our deacon prayer time.